pray with me, if you would, before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that teaches us and corrects us, encourages us. We pray that your spirit would move in this place now and that you would do just that, that you would show us exactly what you want us to see from your word, that you would apply it to our hearts, that you would use it uh, to give life, to change us, to bring us fully, more fully into your will, to see you more clearly for who you are. We pray that you'd just be pleased and honored with everything that's done and said this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've mentioned uh, a couple times, actually during this series as we've talked about Judges, I've mentioned that in a lot of ways I look uh, at the book of Judges and a lot of historical sections in Scripture. A lot of times I picture them as movies and I think about films a lot of times when I'm reading through these, you kind of see that in the life of Samson. And I think I mentioned a couple of times when I was in school, uh, actually, when I went to college, I, I debated about going uh, to school to do film studies. It just always interests me a lot. Ended up not doing that. But I took a couple of classes when I was in college just out of interest. And so I've always liked to watch uh, kind of behind the scenes of making and how they do that. And especially with, with movies today, the incredible things that they can produce on the screen and you go, how in the world did they do that? And, and, and almost kind of sadly now, really it just comes down to they do it with computers. If you watch behind the scenes today, that's what it is. They just use a lot of computers and that's pretty much how they do it. But I was reading an article this week and I, and I liked it because it was going back to movies kind of from my childhood where they didn't use computers for everything. And it said, uh, it was, the title of the article was 30 images that went with the article that will change the way you looked at these movies. And the two that stood out in my mind as I, as I was looking, flipping through the pictures that went with this article, well, one was uh, Superman, and it was uh, Christopher Reeve, if you ever saw the original Superman movies, and he's flying, and he's got all these harnesses and wires on them, and they're zipping them along by buildings, and making it, you know, that's how they did it. They, now they just do it with computers, but they had to put him in these harnesses and all this stuff. And then the other one was Jaws. And I started reading about Jaws, and, and Jaws, they had this giant mechanical great white shark for filming of Jaws. And it's funny because you see it on a soundstage and there's a backdrop of it looks like an ocean behind them and it's only like half of a fish and, you know, all kinds of mechanical stuff. And, and it does. It changes the way you look at it. And as it, this has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was interesting. They said if you watch the movie Jaws at the end when he's attacking, they, they film it from the fish's perspective because that thing kept breaking all the time. And the director just said, forget it. We'll just film it this way, which really doesn't mean anything. But... It does change the way you think about those movies when you see those pictures, when you see behind the scene and kind of how they made it. It changes your perspective on the way you look at it. And so sometimes kind of looking behind the scenes opens up your eyes. And then when you watch the movie, then you think of it differently. And, and I was thinking about this as we're going to go back to Judges today. We looked at Samson real briefly last week. Big picture. What we were hitting on with Samson last week is why Samson is such a product of his environment that we see so much of Samson's rebellion against God, mostly, and, and what we were looking at is that they've forgotten God. Israel's forgotten God. They're not crying out for deliverance, even God raising up Samson. And what we see is so much of the product of the culture. And, and so really that's where we focused on last week, how bad Samson was, how bad Israel was, how they had forgotten God and how that had led to that. Well, today I want us to go back and look at Samson and we're going to look through several different episodes, really three with Samson in chapter 14 and 15 and 16. And what we're going to do is think about what Samson's doing and his motivations and how he's working and how he's going about his business. And we're going to see basically kind of harken back to what we looked at last week. It's a mess. This, this, the spoiler, it's a complete mess when you look at Samson. 
But then what I want us to do is compare what God's doing, how God is working, even in all the mess that Samson is. And there's a few spots in these chapters in Judges where it's like the curtain gets pulled back a little bit. You get to see what God's doing. There's just a few verses that that drop in there and they just tell you. And it talks about God's spirit and how he's moving and what he's doing. And so what we start to see is that even though Samson's a mess, and even though he's doing all these things out of terrible ambitions and the wrong motives and all that goes with that, God's still at work. And so I want us to kind of pull the curtain back and look and see how God's working in spite of all these bad decisions and all the sin and all the forgetting God that's going on, that God's still there. And he's still sovereign and he's still at work. And so that's how we're going to go about it. Just looking at these three. We're actually going to do four episodes, but three are the life of Samson. Just kind of looking at how God's working when it looks like he's not working. When on the surface, it looks like it's the exact opposite of that. And so that's the way we're going to do this. And so the first episode, we'll jump right in, is in chapter 14. And we talked about this briefly last week. If you were here, this is a little bit of review. But chapter 14 begins with the life of Samson. Chapter 13 talks about him as a child. Chapter 14, it's now he's grown and we see Samson and we start to see who he is and what he's like. Chapter 13 was to Samson's parents, you're going to set him apart for my use. He's going to be a Nazarite. That means he's not going to uh, touch anything unclean. He's not going to cut his hair. He's not going to drink alcohol. He's not going to do any of these things because he's going to be set apart to me. And I've chosen Samson. I'm going to raise him up. But then 14, we're introduced to Samson. And this is really the first episode I want you to look at. And the first thing we see Samson see is he says, I've I've seen this woman who is a Philistine, who is from a pagan nation that they're not to be intermarrying with. And he said, I saw this Philistine woman and I want her. That's what he says to his parents. Go get her for me. I want her. And then in verse three, it tells us, he says, uh, uh, go get her for me. Get her for me. She is right in my eyes. And I mentioned briefly last week that Samson's really a picture of Israel. That's exactly what we see God saying over and over about Israel. They did what was right in their own eyes and they forgot God and they did whatever they wanted. And that's what we see with Samson. He's just like the nation of Israel and where they are. And so what you see him saying is, go get her for me. She looks good to me. And then as you read down through chapter 14, what do you get is he does. He he gets engaged to this girl. He goes to the wedding feast. It's the big party. That's the way they did it in those days. A a week-long celebration. A huge party. And so Samson goes, and there's this big blowout party. And what happens is it tells us is that he goes, and uh, he he places a bet with the men of the town where his wife is from, his wife-to-be. And he says, I'm going to give you this riddle, and if you can guess it, then I'll give you great prizes. And if you don't, then I get it. And he makes a pretty big wager. And he gives it to him. And then what happens is it tells us that his wife is really embarrassed that none of the people can get it. And so she starts to get worried. They're going to lose this bet to my new husband. And so I need to help them out. And she starts to pester him. She says, tell me, tell me, please, 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 you know, over and over. Tell me what the riddle is. Tell me. No one can figure it out. Uh, It reminds me of dessert time at my house with my kids. Can we please have dessert? Can we please go get ice cream? Can we go around the corner? Can we please, can we please, can we, you know, and finally on some days, not every day, but some days you go, fine, you can have ice cream, right? That's, that's what I imagine with Samson here, his wife going over and over. Please tell me, please tell me, please. So finally he tells her. And then what happens? She goes and tells the men of the town and they find out. And so Samson loses the bet. Now, what we know of Samson, especially what we talked about last week, he is a man that is driven by his passions 
he flies into a fit of rage over just about anything. And so you can guess how this is going to go. Wife tells he loses. They come to collect on the bet. And so he's furious. And so what does Samson do? He goes and he kills 30 people because he made a bet with 30 guys. So he kills 30 people and takes their stuff and takes it back and gives it to them. And so the first episode that we see as we're introduced to Samson is, is basically this. One, he's being uh, controlled by his passions, his lust. This woman looks good to me. I don't care that she's not the right woman. That's the one I want. He goes to a giant party all week. He gambles. He loses. And then he kills a bunch of people to pay off his debt. That's basically the first episode of Samson. And so you hear that and you go, well, obviously God is at work here. This is God's chosen man. You know, well, wait a second. What are you talking about? That doesn't look like God's at work in any way here. When you see Samson and you're introduced to him, it's a mess. It's an absolute disaster in every way in what he's doing. But what I want us to see as we think about this today is, is this biblical picture that's all throughout Scripture. And it's this. And this is very difficult for us to get. And I'm just going to tell you up front. You're going to have to wrestle with this. And you're going to leave here and you're not going to have full clarity on this. I don't know that anybody completely does. So just the warning there. But it's this. God allows us to have real choices with real consequences in our lives. He gives you real choices. Like, for example, with Samson, don't marry a woman from a pagan nation. Now he has a real choice. He can either marry a woman from a pagan nation, which he does, or he cannot. He has a real choice that has real consequences that come with it. But what Scripture tells us is that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all things. And even though he gives us real choices with real consequences, God is still sovereign. And that, that's where you're going to have to wrestle with it. Because I can't explain that fully, and you're going to have to struggle with that a little bit. But what the picture is, is that God is allowing you to make these choices, and you can really make choices, and you can really do these things, but yet nothing will be outside of how he's moving and working. God is that big. And that's where we struggle. When we talk about sovereignty, sometimes we say, yes, I believe God is sovereign, but we don't really believe he's sovereign. Because if God is sovereign, that means he's control over all things, all things. And so even your bad choices that go against what God told you to do, he's still in control. He's still working even in our really bad choices. And the truth is, for all of us, God's told us things very clearly in his scripture. The Bible tells us that our conscience bears witness. There's things that we know through God's grace. He's allowed us to know about him. We're made in his image. And yet oftentimes we make bad choices. Sometimes we make very wise choices. Sometimes we make unwise choices. Uh, we kind of go back and forth. We do those things. But the truth is God is in control of all of those, even though we have real choices with real consequences. God is still at work and can still use them. God is that big. And so when you read Samson's story, you start to get a picture of this. Because we just said, when you look at Samson, what's going on, his choices are, I want the woman that looks best to me. Forget everything else. I'm going to gamble. I'm going to murder. I'm going to do all these desires of my heart and my flesh. And I'm going to go 100 miles an hour. And I don't care. That's Samson. Right? But when you read this story, it tells us that he says in verse 3, get her for me. She's right in my own eyes. That kind of sets up the dominoes that starts all of this. But then look at what verse 4 says. Verse 4 tells us his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And at that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. 
And so we look at it from Samson's perspective and we see him making all these mistakes, going clearly against what God has told him and how we're supposed to act and how we're supposed to move and how we're supposed to follow God. And yet then it says that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And you go, what? How is that possible? He just went against everything that God's clearly told him, but yet it tells us that God's working in this. And I think the picture, and I want to just, some of the things that come to my mind, maybe yours, well, does that mean that God is behind Samson's lust? No. God doesn't will or do evil. And so Samson has real choices with real consequences. You say, well, does that mean he's behind this marriage? He really wants him to marry this girl? No. God's clearly said, don't take a wife from a pagan nation. He has real choices with real consequences, and he's chosen to ignore God. He said, was he behind the brutal violence when he goes and kills 30 people to repay his debt? No. God gives us real choices with real consequences. But the thing that you see is that God is big enough to use even our bad choices. God is that big and he's that sovereign and he's over all things that even when we have real choices with real consequences, he can still work. He's going to use what Samson's doing, even though it's not what God would have him do. God's that big that he can do that. And so he's working here. It says he's seeking an opportunity against the Philistines because at that time the Philistines ruled over Israel. So what he's doing is he's seeking to drive a wedge between Israel and the Philistines because they've just become all intermeshed with them. We talked about that last week. They don't even cry out for deliverance because they become so ingrained in their culture. And so God goes, I'm not going to allow them just to stay in that. There was a quote that came to my mind as I was thinking about that from uh, C.S. Lewis. It's from a a sermon that he preached that got later put into a book. and It's called The Weight of Glory. And in it, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I see Israel at this time and and Samson being a wonderful picture of Israel. And he's the child making mud pies in the slum when he could have the holiday at sea. And even though he's making all these dumb choices and even though he's being guided by his lust and his rage, and his vengeance, and all these things that are happening, even though he's made all those choices, God's still going to work. And he's still going to say, I'm not going to allow you just to sit and make pies in the mud when there could be a holiday at sea. And so God says, I'm going to allow, even in these terrible decisions of Samson, I'm going to use this to, to bring about, bring things to a head between the Philistines and the Israelites. Even in your bad choices. So even in God's sovereignty, what he's saying or what we're seeing in this story is that in God's sovereignty, even though we make real choices with really bad consequences, oftentimes God can still use that. He's that big. He's that powerful. He's that loving. He's that gracious that he's going to use those things to bring about his purposes, even when we're not seeking them. That's one of the most amazing things about this story with Samson and Israel. No one's seeking God. No one's crying out and going, help us. But yet their God is still moving and working, seeking for an opportunity with the Philistines. Because he knows how bad this is and he wants to rescue them. And so the first thing here is you're seeing is that God can use even the bad for his good. 
I was thinking about this in my own. I have to put this in terms that I can kind of fathom and, and work through. But I was thinking about when I used to coach basketball. I've mentioned that before. I love basketball. I got to coach for three years in high school when I was in seminary. And I love that after coaching three seasons, you see very different things in every team you coach. Like my first year, I had a really great team, and we won almost every game, and we did great, and I thought I was the greatest coach in the world. And then I realized the next year, the team wasn't quite as good, that maybe it had something to do with the players. Right? And, and you come to an understanding real quick as a coach that you're only as good as your players are. But the first year, I had a team that was really good at offense and defense. The second year, they were really good at defense, but they couldn't score. And then the last year, they were good at offense, but they played terrible defense. And so it was like, I got the whole range. But that first year, I had a, had a guy on my team, and we scored a lot, and we had a good scoring team, and he was a great scorer. He could really shoot, and he could score, and he helped our team tremendously. But the downside is he was extremely selfish. All he cared about was scoring. Really, that's all. He, it was like every time we'd go over a play, he'd go, uh, Coach, is this the one where I shoot it? That's, all, that's the only question he would ever ask. And if it wasn't, he didn't really care. It was like, okay, well, get back to me when I'm going to shoot it. And so you, you kept trying to kind of bring them along and instill team, and it's important for us to work together, and we don't want to all be selfish, and we don't. But, but the truth is he was a really good scorer, and we needed him. And we needed his abilities. And so what ended up happening throughout the season is we got him a lot of shots. We ran a lot of plays for him, and it kept him engaged. And then he'd play better defense. And basically, he ended up using his selfishness for the good of the team. And he scored a lot, and we won a lot of games, and he helped us. But he was always pretty selfish in his view of wanting to score a lot. And so I think of that team and even the way you're trying to use bad motives for the good of everyone. It's kind of what God's doing with Samson. Even though Samson is flying off and he's ready to go to war and fight and kill and do all these things at the drop of a hat, God goes, I can use that. It doesn't mean he's condoning his sinful actions, but he sees, and this is what Samson's going to do, and God is sovereign, and he can use that. And so you start to see that picture here, and you see that really in that first episode. We have Samson, violent, uh, lust-filled, rage, vengeance, all these things, and God's using it. He says it's from the Lord that he's at work to drive a wedge between the Philistines and the Israelites. Well, the second episode is in chapter 15. So chapter 14, he goes, he kills the 30 men, he comes back, he gives them the thing, and it says he goes home angry, leaves his wife, leaves her and goes home furious to his father's house. Well, he comes back a little while later to get his wife, and he comes to find out, and they say, oh, we thought you hated your wife, and so we gave her to your best man. <laughs> you can guess how that's going to go with Samson, right? Oh, we didn't know, sorry, we, we gave her to this guy over here. Yeah, that's going to be a disaster. And so, again, you see the consequences even right there of Samson's rage and his sin as he goes back. His wife has been given to his best man. And so what does he do? He burns down the town. Literally. He goes, fine, great. I'm going to burn everything. And so he does. He burns down the town. He burns everything down. Again, Samson and his rage and his vengeance just flies off, burns everything. And then what happens, and it begins to show us how evil the times were that they were living in. Well, you know what their response is? Well, that's fine. We'll burn your wife and her father. It's that serious. That's how ugly this time is, and that's how this goes. Samson flies off. That's the response. It goes back and forth. And what you see is just a mess. And the people come after Samson. Not only do they do that, they then pursue him, and they come after him, and they follow him back into Israel, and they come to seek him. 
They're ready to put an end to Samson. He's a thorn in our side. We need to get rid of this guy. And so it says in verse uh, 9 of chapter 15, Then the Philistines came and camped in Judah and made a raid on Leah. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. And so you see the, the people of Israel going, whoa, 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 we want no part of this. Why are you even here? And they go, well, we just want Samson. And so his own people, the Israelites say, that's fine. We'll give you Samson. You can have him. That's great. Take him. And so they go and they bind him and they take him. And Samson says, that's fine. You can give him to me. Just don't hurt me yourself. Just give them over. Give me over to them. And so they do. And that's the way the episode goes. And then you look, we talked about this last week. What happens? Verse 14, they came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, right, to meet Samson. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flak that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and he put out his hand and he took it and he struck a thousand men. And so the picture that you see here is that Samson goes into, this is basically episode two. He goes into a fit of rage and he burns everything and then they kill his, what was to be his wife and her father. And then he goes back and it comes back and forth and then they seek to come get Samson and they take him away and then he kills a thousand men. Again, it's a mess. On the surface, all you see is vengeance and rage and violence. And that's really what's going on. That's pretty much Samson's motives. There's not a whole lot to mine out of what Samson was trying to accomplish other than that he is just tossed to and fro by his emotions at every turn. But you see that picture, and yet God, it tells us right there in verse 14, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and gave him the strength to then go kill a thousand men. And you go, what in the world? Samson, here he is moving and going and, and working out of his anger and his rage, and yet God allows him to have the strength to then kill a thousand Philistines. And you go, what in the world? What's going on here? And I think part of that is you go back to verse 4 where it says the Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And you place this in context of what's happening. The Philistines come into the Israelites and say we're looking for Samson. And what do they say in verse 10? Uh, why have you come up against us? We don't want any part of this. Right? Remember, they are so uh, just enthralled, taken in, completely given over to be with the Philistines. They don't want to have anything to do with fighting against them. Right? They've moved completely to the opposite of what God had told them to do. You do not intermarry. You do not mix. You separate yourself. You be holy unto me. You're to be a light to the world. And they don't want to have anything to do with it. And so here is Samson making real choices with real consequences, being angry, ready to fight, ready to kill people. And God strengthens him, gives him the power to do this. Why? What is going on here? The picture is that God is working to drive a wedge between Israel and the Philistines. God cares too much to allow them to continue to make mud pies in the slums when the holiday at sea is offered. He's, he cares too much to allow them to continue to just fall away and ignore him altogether. And so he's pursuing them. And so the picture, though, is this. It's not that God gave him this strength and made him go. Samson was going to do what Samson's going to do. But God's going to work through his real choices with real consequences. God is still sovereign. 
And so you see that, that kind of dichotomy working, that God is working even in a sinful man that is in no way trying to honor God. Samson's not going out going, I'm doing this for God's honor. He's doing it because he's angry. He's doing it because he's controlled by his emotions. And so that kind of asks the question, if you're thinking about it, how can God work this way? Samson's a pretty terrible guy. I mean, if you just read the story, there's not a whole lot redeeming about him. And you read the story and you go, well, how can God do that? How can God strengthen this homicidal maniac that's ready to kill people at the drop of a hat? And I think the picture that we, we've got to come to and we have to think about that is God is truly sovereign. That means God can work through all sorts of people in all situations. That's what it means that he's sovereign. That he is in control over all things. And you think about it for a second. What if God could only work through good and faithful people? Then he wouldn't be sovereign. He wouldn't actually be in control. He'd be kind of waiting. Oh, no, I've got to find someone who, who meets the qualifications that I can then work through. But God can work in all situations, in all things. And even though Samson's motives are bad, even though he's fueled by anger, even though he's not seeking to honor God, God is its sovereign, is sovereign and he is at work. And he can use even those things, even in that. And so I want to be careful when I say that, because uh, this could lead us to a really bad conclusion. Well, it doesn't matter what we do. God's sovereign. Right? We could say that. We could slip into that. Well, we'll just do whatever and God will work it for good and I'll be okay. But the truth is we have real choices with real consequences. And when you look at Samson's life, it's a mess. All these choices he makes has very real consequences that come out of that. And you see that over and over. Right? The first thing he does there of killing the 30 guys and storming off and then he comes back, that costs his wife uh, assumingly someone he cared about, her life. You see this all the way through his life. So we want to be real careful. There's a clear picture that God can and work and he's sovereign over all things and he can work through all situations. But that doesn't mean that we should downplay uh, the seriousness of sin. God gives us real choices, but there are real consequences that come with those choices. So that takes us to the third episode. That's the first two. The third episode presumably takes place a little while later. Because it tells us a couple of times in these passages that Samson ruled for 20 years. And then we get to chapter 16 and it's, it's beginning now uh, right towards the end of his life. And so we figure some time has passed. But it tells us at the beginning of 16 that Samson hasn't changed. At the very beginning of 16, he goes to meet a prostitute where they seek to kill him. Oh, let's go get him. We've got him. And he gets away. And then verse 4 and on in chapter 16, he meets Delilah. Again, he falls in love with a woman that he shouldn't have been falling in love with. And he, he enters into a relationship with him. And it's a little bit back to the beginning of his relationship with the first wife. Uh, she begins to pester him. What's your strength? Where does your strength lie? Right? The Philistines come to her and say, we'll give you, we will pay you if you can figure out where his strength lies so that we can conquer Samson. And so she starts to pester and she starts to ask him. And he kind of toys with her and they go back and forth. But eventually he says, well, my strength lies and this vow that I made to God, my Nazarite vow, I've never cut my hair. And so if I were to cut my hair, I wouldn't have strength anymore. Which Samson actually says for one of the first times in all of this, something that's really true. Right? My strength lies because I've been set apart to God, which is true. Now, he doesn't really believe that. And you see that in his actions. I mentioned that last week. Because immediately he tells her that and then he lays down to go to sleep on her lap as she cuts off his hair. 
Right? And then look at what happens in verse 20. 16, verse 20. Where are we? And she said, the Philistine... So go back. She cuts off his hair. A man comes in in verse 19, shaves off his hair, and then verse 20. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep. I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground mill in the prison. And so God finally removes his strength and he's taken captive. Now, Samson didn't believe that he had lost his strength because he says, I'm going to shake this off and do what I always do. He still thinks his strength is his own, but God removes that from him. And then what happens is he's taken prisoner. And so when you look at the story again, just from Samson's viewpoint, what you see is a very arrogant man who's still fueled by his passion, still does whatever he thinks, thinks he can get out of any situation, no matter what it is, that's pretty much Samson. And he's still the exact same. But then when you step back and you read the rest, you see how God's working in this story. He allows him to be taken prisoner by removing his strength from him. And look what happens in the rest of the story. So verse 22, But the head of his hair began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And the people saw him. They praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when the hearts were merry, when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. And so they called Samson out of the prison to entertain them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. And now the house was full of men and women and the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. And so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And so you see this story, and it's a sad, tragic end. You never get a whole lot of redemption with Samson. It still just comes to this end in which he's crushed under with the Philistines, and and he kills 3,000. You go, well, what's going on? What is God doing in this? Yes, we can easily trace Samson's choices and how he ended up where he was and what was happening. But what in the world was God doing in all this? And I think you see right in the midst of this, it goes back to what it first told us in 14.4. God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. And so he brings, he allows Samson to, to feel the consequences of his decisions to this point that brings him to this place. And there they are praising their false gods that he's, they've delivered him Samson. And God has his opportunity here to show them who is the real God and who is the false God. He has his opportunity to show clearly the God of Samson, the God of Israel, is the true and only God. And so he allows in that moment for Samson to crush the pillars and it all comes down to show. 
to show a supernatural strength of Samson, that the true God has done that. God is, is attacking the false gods, and it goes back to what we said he was doing from the very beginning. He's seeking to drive a wedge between the people of Israel and the false gods of the Philistines. He's seeking to remove a people from settling for making mud pies in the slums when a holiday at sea is offered to them. He says, I'm not going to leave you in that. And so he uses all Samson's really poor decisions with very real consequences to shine a light on that I am the only true God. And so God is working in all of that to show. And notice here, even as you get to the end, even Samson in those last moments, as God brings it to this place, look at what he says in verse 28. Please, God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once that I may be avenged on the Philistine for my two eyes. He hasn't changed at all. He's still saying, I want revenge because they poked my eyes out. And so even in his sinfulness, he's still working in that way, but God is working in a much deeper way. He says, I'm going to allow this to happen so that I show them exactly who is the one true God. And that's God's grace that he pursues his people even in all of this. Thankfully, God is at work even in our mess. Even when we mean it for evil, God can use it for good. Even in all Samson's terrible decisions. I said at the beginning, there's three episodes of Samson, but there's really four episodes I want us to look at. Because probably the best example of this and how God can work through bad decisions and sinful actions doesn't come until about 1,200 years after Samson. That's when Jesus comes. And Jesus walks on this earth and he does everything perfectly. He loves God and he loves men and he does it in every way and perfectly. He shows us who God is. He's God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God and he does it all perfectly. And what happens? Evil men make real decisions with real consequences and they hang them on a tree and they kill them. They crucify them. And then he raises from the dead and a little while after the very first gospel sermon, Peter will stand up and he'll preach. And he'll tell us exactly what happened in that. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, and listen carefully, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, yet God raised him us up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. Do you hear what Peter says? Real men with real consequences made real decisions and they decided to kill Jesus. And that was all part of God's plan. God knew before the foundations of the world that that was going to happen because God is sovereign. And so what it shows us and what it tells us is even though we have real choices with real consequences, there is nothing that we can do to frustrate the plans of God. That is good news. Really, really good news. That we can't blow it. That even when we make really dumb choices and even when we have to bear the consequences of that, that God can redeem it. That in all things that he is sovereign and he is at work. And so just as we end, a couple things that that should lead us to. And the first would just simply be thankfulness. Gratitude. That even when we decide to use our ability to make choices to run from him, he's still at work. 
He can still bring about what He's going to do, even in our bad choices. That should uh, instill in us a great thankfulness and gratitude. The second thing is we want to be careful, though, is just to remember that sin is still sin and it has consequences. And so this shouldn't in any way diminish, uh, oh, well, sin's not that important. Sin is ignoring God. It's saying, yes, I hear what you're saying. No, thank you. I'll do something else. There's consequences that come with that. Thankfully, God is gracious and big enough that he can work through those. But there's still consequences that we will have to bear and we often feel when we make poor decisions. And so in no way should that diminish uh, sin and its seriousness. But then the last thing, and we'll end with this, is that when we see this big picture, when I read through Judges and I think about Samson and how God's working and all those things he's doing, what I end with is that God's pursuit of us is incredible. The people that don't even care, that aren't even crying out, that are not seeking him, and he goes to great lengths and he goes, I'm going to use even your poor decisions to bring this back. I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to continue to pursue you. I'm going to continue to show you how much I love you. And I'm going to continue to, <clears throat> to redeem a people for his glory. What a God we serve. That he doesn't just throw up his hands and go, oh, I'm done with them. He goes, no. They're making really dumb decisions, but I'm even going to use those to draw them back to me. Wow. That's the grace of the God we serve. That's the story of Samson. It's the story of Christ coming and undoing all our mess and offering us salvation, even though we're not seeking Him. What a picture. Let's pray. God, we thank You. Pray that You would just instill us with a gratitude with a thankfulness of how much you love us, even in spite of our bad decisions, our poor decisions, the ways that we often turn from you, but that you are gracious and you are faithful and you continue to pursue. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can rest and trust that even in all the things we see going in our world today, all the mess that is there, all the open rebellion to you, that you are at work even in those things. And we thank you for that and we praise you. Pray that you would help us to see more fully how great you are, how vast you are, how, how far uh, the reaches of your sovereignty are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.